Okay, would you just bow your heads, close your eyes, and if you have that person, or maybe you're going to start having one today that you're going to pray for, for the drama that you're going to invite and bring them with you and sit with them and whatever the case might be, even take them out to dinner beforehand or something along those lines. Um, but, and then also maybe the physical needs I've mentioned today as well. Would you pray quietly and then I'll pray. Our Father, it almost seems like at times that a day doesn't go by that we hear of someone new that has cancer of some sort or a sickness or a disease. And Lord, there are great needs inside and outside of our congregation on a physical level. And we know that you care about those things. You say in First Peter, that we are to throw all of our cares on you, all of our anxieties, all the things that are of great concern to us because it matters to you about us. That's what the Bible says. We're so thankful that there's not one single prayer request that's too big for you, that you can handle anything. You are the almighty God, El Shaddai. But also, I'm so thankful that there's not any request too small for you. That you are not a distant deity so far removed from us that the details and the pains and the tears that flow from our eyes, that you're not removed from them, that you care about all those things. So we pray for people who are not here today. I know Lynn Crompton is sick today and not feeling well, and a lot of people have had upset stomachs and in comparison to cancer truly they are small things but they matter because they affect our lives and you care about them thank you and pray for all those whether the physical malady is a small issue or a large one that you would work in each one's life each person's body you have made us we are fearfully and wonderfully made and you know all about it And you know exactly what it would take to bring healing. And we pray if that can be your will and glorify your name that you would do that. But we also know scripture well enough to understand that everything that takes place in our life, even the things that we would not welcome or ask for, have purpose. Even our sicknesses and our pains and our trials. And we can respond to them and try to get through them as quickly as possible to get it over with, or we can let you teach us and shape us and form us and mold us to be more conformed to the image of your Son. And I pray for everyone who battles, whether it's a flu or a sore throat or whether it's cancer or anything in between, 
that they wouldn't miss any of the lessons that you have for them. That you'd help them through the Spirit of God respond in such a way that they would acknowledge your sovereignty and that they would know that you are an imminent God at work in their lives to use even this for your glory. We also are mindful today of the spiritual realities that face us um, as we give the Easter drama and present the work that you have done for us in salvation. We are praying that our people would invite and witness and be hospitable, have people into their homes, take them out to dinner, whatever it would take to build bridges for the gospel that people from all the nations might come to worship you and give you the glory that you deserve and that you bless us and everyone involved, the sight, I mean, as far as the audio and the sound and backstage and props and building the set and acting and being an extra singing um, choir, all that's involved, so many things. May it work together, every little piece of it is a concert of worship to your glory. And may that overflow in the lives of everyone who comes, that you prepare their hearts and minds to be open and receptive to the truth. And that would be no small stirring of your spirit, as the scripture says, to bring all those that you have appointed to eternal life, to salvation and faith in your son, Jesus. Well, these are things that we certainly cannot accomplish apart from you. And so we're asking that you would make us vessels unto honor, fit and meet for your use. We also pray that in this time we share together as a, as a class today that you would help us to be hungry and thirsty for your word and that you'd fill us up with good things and open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things out of your law. And then as a result, would you order our steps in your word that no iniquity may have dominion over us and rather, O oh God, unite our hearts to fear your name. We ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Before we get into our lesson today, I have just a brief video. James White, he'll tell you in the introduction, it's only about a three-minute video. And with all the things taking place on abortion, he, I believe the context of the brief video is that he lives in Arizona, and in his town in Phoenix, Arizona, um, they, were content, they were asking people to give their opinions on whether they should allow abortion up to birth. And that's a big deal going on in a lot of states across America, and it's a vital issue. And so as a pastor, as an author, as a speaker, he gave only allowed three minutes, but he made the most of it. I just wanted, I thought it'd be good for you to uh, hear what he has to say about it. Judge of all history, look upon us when we stand before him. He knows whether we knew or not, and we live in a day where there's no reason not to know what's going on not to know the humanity of the preborn child? Will he look upon the donations that we received from Planned Parenthood? Will he see those things? I ask you, please, make the city of Phoenix a sanctuary city for preborn children. Save us from the infamy and the cowardice of Weimar. Thank you very much. Do you know that we should pray? Did you know that there's an abortion clinic on Coozer Road? Did you know that? Yes. All the way down toward that way, past, right past the, uh, yep, Dunkin' Donuts a little bit. And they are there all the time, open every day. So 
It's a real, it's not far, is it, down the street? It's, it's real. It's on our street. And it's an issue in our culture and has been. And it's only getting worse. Um, that's why today's lesson, I, I want to say, and I want to close our time together today praying for uh, our views in America and about people who consider abortion. Um, it's good for us because these issues are not going to go away. In fact, in my opinion, uh, they're only going to escalate. Um, as a pastor, I, I believe it's my job to keep up with them. Um, I'm sure there are people who know more than I do, but I try to read books on uh, the sanctity of marriage and homosexuality and transgender, and uh, it's amazing all the things that take place. I, I don't know if I share this with you, but um, I was talking with someone about all the things that are going on in the transgender world and so forth, and um, there's a literally, and I'm not trying to be make fun of people per se, but there was, this is a true story, there was a girl um, who is 20 years old that put it out there that she, as she looked at her life, um, saw that she had a lot of characteristics that were in keeping as the same as a cat. And so she asked to not have to work anymore and, and that she could live her life out as a cat and that the government would take care of her and treat her as such. And that, that's not a joke. Um, just not that long ago in Canada, there was a dad who had seven children and a wife, and he divorced his wife, uh, left his children to be taken care of by her if she could best do it on her own. And the reason was because he was going to go live out his true identity, and that was to be a six-year-old girl. And uh, this is a man in his 40s. Um, these are stories that are popping up all the time. And if you read the books and articles and literature on it, you'll see that there are a lot of issues that we as Christians, as we try to adhere to the Bible, are not going to agree with even remotely. And the tenor of the day amongst Christianity, and I could tell you names um, of authors and people you may or may not know, um, but it is becoming prevalent today and almost faddish or in vogue for Christians to give in to those things. Um, I'm not sure if you'd be surprised or not, but the Mormons who have been, although they are a cult and teach false doctrine and are not, relig- not uh, orthodox at all, although they would try to appear that they are, they have been, over the years, a very family-oriented cult, if I could say it that way. Um, but even they, just recently in the news, have decided no longer to say that if you are LGBTQ and married, that they are not going to say anything anymore about it. Um, they still think it's wrong to be married, um, but if you are an individual and, cl- and claim to be a lesbian, a homosexual, transgender, any of those things, they no longer are going to say anything to you about it. And also, if you have children that you take in as two women or two men, that you can all be baptized into their church. Now, that's a movement, now, again, not by someone who believes the Bible or is Christian, but nevertheless have pretended to have Christian values and, 
and have family values at least, and that's what they've been known for, but they are also capitulating to it. When I visited my, my mom in Kansas City, there is literally um, a church that is like, if not bigger than any stadium I've seen. I mean, it is beautiful. I mean, it's like a spaceship. It's so cool. I mean, it had to cost, I don't even know how much money, but it's a United Methodist church. And the guy, Adam Hamilton, who's the pastor, has written many books. And if you read his books, um, he doesn't mention any of those subjects or anything like that. But the United Methodist is a worldwide religion. And uh, they just voted last month about whether homosexuality was right. And they would allow homosexuality as pastors, marriages, and blah, blah, blah. And over the whole world, I mean, this is like a pretty big denomination. They, it, it came out 51-49%. And 51, that they would hold on to traditional values. So a slight win for biblical values. But the guy who's got this gigantic church, um, he was very disappointed in it and is pulling his ginormous church out of it. And so will a lot of other United Methodists. So United Methodists will become an oxymoron pretty soon because they won't be united anymore. Um, So they will just be Methodists of some other shape or form, whatever. But listen, I mean... That's happening everywhere. I can tell you authors, um, people who just recently put their armor. Remember the guy we did on the American Gospel who's a prosperity preacher, um, Todd White? There's a very famous evangelical person who spoke at a conference with him, put his arm around him and is recorded saying, what a great man of God. Where the guy is a preposterous heretic and in my opinion, lost. Um, So listen, I say all that, and there are many others I could say, to say this, is that as Christians, we're going to need to be able to know how do you respond to all of that? How do you respond to people who don't agree about what a real marriage is and who I really am? And down the road someday, when, you are, when they have the verbal police, and don't think that's too far off the road, map, um, when they tell you that you can't say he or she if someone doesn't want that. And now there are multiple pronouns. Did you know on Facebook, when you choose the gender for your profile, that there are some 51 choices? I'm not really sure how that's possible, but it's crazy. But what are you going to do, right, when you want to, someone says, you don't call me he or she, and you use some of the other pronouns they've made up, and, and you have to, or you could be prosecuted for it. Don't think that's a joke. I never thought a few years ago that they would ever get away with even close to telling Houston pastors, I want you to turn your sermons in and we're going to edit them and change them before you get, and they almost got away with it. So, I mean, our culture and our country are certainly not what it used to be. And we are going down a road where we won't need an outside force to nuke us, to destroy us. We, like Rome, will be destroyed from within. And, but the question for Christians is, um, what do we do with all that? How do you respond to someone who think it's, thinks it's a woman's right to abort a child uh, the moment before they're born? How would you respond to that? And what do you do when you, they, you respond and they disagree heartily? I mean, maybe even viciously. How do you respond to that? How do you respond when they tell you in the pulpit that you can't say anymore that homosexuality is wrong or your marriages are wrong. What would you do? How do we handle that as Christians? That's why it's good for us 
And I did a little bit on it Wednesday night in the past Wednesday night. And then this morning, it happens to be the next paragraph on the Sermon on the Mount, which we're in. How do you respond to those things? Well, Jesus is going to tell us because here's the thing. It's natural for us and it's easy for us to respond in such a way to get angry and bitter and upset and even judgmental in the sense that not that we don't discern and judge between what is right and wrong, but in condemning in our comments and not have any level of love or compassion. How do you speak the truth in love? How do you do that? How do you have both of those involved? So I want to try to go through today a little bit and set the, you know, so to speak, the table for this morning and what we're going to talk about a little bit more in the same passage. So if you'll turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. I want to say it now, and I want you to get it in your mind. Christians are a resistance movement. We are. We resist government. We resist culture on this level. Not the way everyone else resists. Um, You have to realize we resist, but we resist differently. That's the key, okay? Jesus was being questioned by Pilate in John 18. And seemingly an individual conversation between Pilate and Jesus. And Pilate is asking Jesus some questions and and Jesus isn't answering him at first. And so he comes straight out, Pilate does, and says to him, Are you then a king? And Jesus says, It is as you say. I am a king. But then he clarifies it, and it's a great phrase for us to remember in John 18. He says, I am a king, but my kingdom, this is what Sermon on the Mount is, kingdom ethics, right? How do disciples who follow Jesus live in his kingdom while we are surrounded by another one? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, listen, or my servants would have been fighting. In other words, I know what resistance is like in the Roman kingdom, When you resist and rebel, it incurs verbal and physical violence. So you yell and scream and profane and you you attack and you fight, have wars. He goes, hey, I want you to know we resist, but that's not how we resist, right? So it it behooves us as Christians to know that when we're attacked and when we're made fun of on whatever level, whether it's a verbal level or even a violent level, what is the way that Christians, we resist, we do. But how we resist makes all the difference in the world because the worst thing or the last thing that we want to do is represent the wrong kingdom in our resistance, correct? So what would it look like if we resisted against evil uh, in the kingdom of Jesus type of way? So he says to us, Jesus does, in Matthew 5 and verse 38, the same pattern he's followed. There are six illustrations that he has given. We're on number five today. And all these illustrations are about how to live out the beyond righteousness or the greater righteousness of Jesus. And that was chapter 5 and verse 20. This is so crucial, Jesus says, that I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds, there it is, goes beyond is greater than 
that of the scribes and Pharisees. In other words, if you only have an external righteousness where you look like you and do all the right things without having an inner heart and affections, when there's only outside stuff but there's nothing on the inside, he says, it's this, this is how important it is. You'll never, double negative, you'll never ever enter the kingdom. So you can't go to heaven, you can't enter the kingdom, you can't be with Jesus unless you have a certain kind of righteousness. And I'm going to say this morning, is the, these six illustrations of what the exceeding greater righteousness of Jesus' kingdom looks like is supposed to do this to you. It's supposed to destroy your self-confidence. It's supposed to say, hey, unless I have Jesus in me, there's no way I could do any of the things he's asking me to do. And I say that because you need to hear that. Because when I read this text to you, you're going to say, come on. Really? In 21st century America, we're supposed to do this stuff? Do you know what would happen if I l- took these verses literally and actually did at times what Jesus is saying to do? See, that's the whole point of it. The whole point of it is, of course you're not going to be able to do it. And of course it seems crazy. And that who in the world does all that stuff if you're living out this kingdom, right? If you're in this kingdom, these things are going to be crazy to you. But Jesus says that's the problem, isn't it? That you don't have the righteousness inside of you and the ability, therefore, to do these things. So he wants to press us hard today and say, when you listen to these things, think this. This will never happen apart from Jesus controlling my life. So with that in mind, let's read it. You have heard that it was said, and this is a quotation of three different texts, um, maybe a combination thereof in the Old Testament. Um, There's one that takes place, let me get them here for you. He says, Exodus 21-24, Leviticus 24-20, Deuteronomy 19-21. It's a combination because the phraseology in here is used in all three of those. It's not a direct quote. It's a kind of a combination quote. Here's what it is. He says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, that is according to uh, Old Testament law. There was a Latin term, lex talianus. And all that means is according to the same kind. In other words, if you did a crime, a punish, you had a crime, then you had to be punished accordingly. You could this law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, was put into place for a couple of reasons. Here's why: so that you couldn't give someone a more severe punishment than the crime indicated. Right. So that's why in American jurisprudence that there is in our law system that if you steal something, there's this much punishment. But if you murder someone, there's this much punishment. And if you do this, and there's degrees of it. There's first degree, second degree, third degree. Why? Because the whole principle is based on this, that you have to have a punishment that fits the crime. So to keep from you know, partiality or impartiality or injustice, that you get way punished more. Have you ever done that? I, I, I did this growing up. My wife had to get on me when we were first married quite a bit because I'd get frustrated with my kids my boys, and they would do something. And I said, all right, that's it. You're not going to do that for a year. She goes, you can't say a year. There's no way that you're going to follow through on that. But you get angry, and you get upset. And so that's like the 25th time I've told you about that this week. Exaggeration, maybe not. But then you give us this punch, and you, you say, oh, you're not going to do that. You can't say that. You can't go outside until you turn seven. No, you, can, you can't say that. 
right? Those are, those are what, because it doesn't fit the crime. She goes, I know you're frustrated, but take it back and tell them the real one. I said, okay, all right, I got it, right? But it, it happens, obviously, in a more severe way in, in other crime. If you get a, you know, if you committed a crime and you stole something from, you know, shoplifted a, a candy bar, and they say, okay, I'm sorry, that'll be 10 years in the penitentiary. You're going like, what? See, that, that would be crazy. But also, flip side, that this law, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, is supposed to keep you from getting too lenient one. So you don't want the judge being up there and say, hey, I would normally punish you this, but you're a relative of mine, so let me cut you a lot of slack. So you can't do that, because all those are unjust. So you can't commit a crime and say, hey, although, let me tell you this, that's what happens in America. Do you know that you can, you can abort a child right at birth and there's no penalty for it, but if you you know, harm the spotted owl, you can go to jail. See, we've, we've, we've beginning to lose it in America, right? So, so here's the thing. So you can't have too lenient either. And then you can't do this. This is not the Wild West. So the eye for eye and the tooth for tooth was the kind of thing to keep you from having vigilante justice. That, okay, uh, you did this to my family, so let's get the posse together and we're going to all ride out and we're going to burn your house down. Well, you can't do that kind of stuff in America or in the Old Testament. You can't do that. Um, so that was what the law was for. And Jesus says, I know that you've heard that, he says. In contrast, look at verse 39. But I say to you, see? But I say to you, don't resist. And what he's saying is that you can't resist at all. But don't resist in this way. You have to resist the right way. Now, let me give you a little background before we go any further. In Jesus' day, there were a number of religious, what they would call sects. S-E-C-T-S. And, and every one of them differed on how they viewed that you should respond to Rome. And Roman government and soldiers and blah, blah, blah. Okay? The... The uh, Sadducees, um, anyone know what a Sadducee was? A Sadducee in Jesus' day was the high priest. Uh, most, most of the Sanhedrin with the ruling council who made decisions for the country and big decisions. Uh, people who had power, the aristocracy, they were Sadducees. In contrast to Pharisees. Um, did everyone, you ever hear the old way? This is like... I'm, this is old, but we used to say a Sadducee was someone who didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in the resurrection, and that's why they are sad, you see. Can I see that? You've heard that, right, before? So um, that's one of the ways you can remember the Sadducees. They didn't believe in those things, but they had more power. They were the ones who called the shots. High priest was... Oh, and the reason why I tell you that is because they, their view of Rome was capitulation. In other words, let's work with Rome. Uh, we don't like it per se, but they're in power and there's no way we're overthrowing them. So let's be nice to them, work with them, and they'll keep us in power and we'll get all this money and we'll have all this freedom and we'll be able to do things no one else can. So Sadducees compromised with Rome and did exactly what they said no matter what, including having a Roman Every day in Jesus' day in the temple, they had to make a sacrifice on the altar to Caesar. Oh, talk about blasphemy. 
but they were required to do it. And the day it stopped was a declaration of war against Rome. And that's exactly what happened in AD 67. And Rome came and in the next three years wiped them out and destroyed the temple. So it was a big deal. Now, it was blasphemy, but they had to do it. So the Sadducees who were in charge of the temple, they were okay with it. They let it go, right? Pharisees, which is a word which means a cut above, had little power, but more popularity. And the reason was is because they were average people in the sense that they lived a life. They didn't have the power. They weren't in control of things. And so they were out amongst the people more, and people liked them more and thought greatly of them. In fact, they were the most holy people. That If you were a Pharisee, you were looked at as, wow, you're the best Old Testament person there possibly could be, and that's why you were cut above. And they dressed a certain way. I mean, they got meticulous to the point where they would cut up vegetables and pieces and tie it to God. I mean, again, I've told you before, I mean, our level of holiness is nothing. If you want to talk about externals, you won't even touch what they were like. I mean, they would wrap ropes around themselves on the Sabbath, walk a certain way to someone else's door, retie the rope so that they could go further. I mean, this is all the craziness that went on um, with the Pharisees. But they didn't like Rome. Um, They would not uh, go along with Rome, but they weren't usually people who would fight Rome in a physical way. That was left to the third group. And that third group was called zealots, okay? Zealots were people who were religious fanatics. We would call them today, you know, terrorists. Um, They would be the people, and um, you can see them. They have them preserved in antiquity. You can get what's called a sakari. A sakari was a knife that fit around the back of your backside here, and it was curved. The blade was slightly curved, so it would fit around like this on you. You could reel it real flat to your side, and you wouldn't be able to see it. So they, they would do this. They would go in a crowd of people and a Roman soldier would be monitoring a group of people and it was kind of crowded. They would walk up behind him, grab their sakari, and then shove it in, and knife them and then keep walking. That's the kind of stuff they were known to. So they were called, zealots had a name for them. They were called, and I'll make something out of this on Easter, they were called lestai. Lestai means you were insurrectionists. So you were against Rome and led to some sort of violence. Now, the Good Samaritan parable is a story about a guy who made the mistake of walking from Jericho to Jerusalem along the road, which is a long winding road, long walk, uphill, and he got caught by a group of bandits, and those bandits are less tied. They would rob people, take your money and all your stuff, and they would sell it, and they would take the money to fund all their campaigns against Rome. All right? Jesus died on the cross as a less tie. The two guys, one on his right and on his left on the crucifixion day, were less They It says thieves in the Bible, but when you think of thief, you think of they stole something out of someone's house, That's not who these guys were. They were insurrectionists. They are getting a capital punishment for a capital crime. See, this is lex talionis. This is the kind of law, according to kind. So they killed a Roman soldier. Barabbas was one of the leaders, like a regional leader of zealists. 
And he was being, he could have been crucified, they let him go. But see, it was the same kind. Jesus is an insurrectionist. Barabbas is an insurrectionist. Choose which one you want because it was a law of the same kind. You could have this one or you could have this one. The difference was between Barabbas and Jesus is the kind of resistance they gave. Okay? Jesus was nonviolent. Barabbas was very violent. And the two guys dying on the side of Jesus were very violent. Right? And that was the kind of... And then, then you have... The Essenes, the last group I want to talk about, the Essenes were, if you go out outside of uh, Jerusalem quite a ways into the desert, I got to do that when I went to Israel, and you go to the place, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. These were caves built into the side of the mountains, and you'd go in there, and underneath, and buried in the ground, they had pots, big, huge pots, clay pots, and inside them were scrolls. And that's what they found. It was amazing uh, a sidebar that the earliest manuscripts we had until the Dead Sea Scrolls was found were called the Masoretic Texts. They were Hebrew Bible copied about a thousand years after Jesus. Okay? When you, compo- when you took the Masoretic Texts and put them next to the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were at Jesus' time a thousand years earlier, there were no differences. That's, that's how... And one of the cool things going to Israel is you get to go into a place where a scribe, you would see what a scribe did and sit at a table. And again, this is the, cra- well, good thing they were so accurate. But a scribe would go in and sit at a table and he would have the manuscript here and he would copy here. And if they came to Yahweh, God's name, they would take the pen, whatever you want to call it, throw it out. They would go over and take a ritual bath and they would come back get a new pen, and start writing again. Every single time they came to God's name, they did that. Now imagine that. I mean, these people are absolutely meticulous, right? But that's the kind of world they lived in. The Essenes were people who lived way out in the desert and had these caves they lived in and had a community. You can see all of the, um, it's very, it's amazing. All the places they lived, the houses all broken down, but still there. And they were people who said, our view of Rome is, and, and of Jerusalem is, everyone in Jerusalem is a compromising, lousy person. We want nothing to do with them. And we think the Romans are going to wipe them out and we'll be the true Israel. What they didn't know is that they, they set up their community along the way that the Romans would come to Jerusalem. And so they got wiped out first. <laughs> so they didn't make it either. But you have all of these different groups. So you got... Essenes who are kind of monastic in the sense that they pulled themselves out of culture altogether and went to live by themselves in the desert. That's one view. You got the other view on the other end of the zealots who are living in culture, but they're going to inflict violence to get their way. Okay? Terrorists. And then you got in between, you got people who compromise with no violence, no compromise with violence. And then Jesus walks into that and basically says... Let me give you the Sermon on the Mount because all four of you are wrong. He says, we don't withdraw from culture like the Essenes. We don't live in culture violently. We don't live in culture compromisingly. And we don't live in culture non-compromising the way the Pharisees do, where all it is is a bunch of outside stuff. He says, in my kingdom, we don't do those things. 
My kingdom is different. There is no violence. We don't compromise. We're not like the Romans, but yet we submit to the Romans, but the way that we submit is subversive and it's resisting. And we go against the grain of every area and every religious sect around. And, and so I, want, I wanted to go through that and tell you, you know why? Because you have to understand when you read Matthew 5 through 7, how radical it would be to anybody, no matter what background, no matter what belief you came through, you were listening to Jesus and you were hearing something that you've never heard before. And the way that he said it and what he did was completely different than anyone else. And so when he says... But I say to you, he says, don't resist the one who is evil. And the word resist is the word in the English. Tell me what you think this is. Here's the Greek word, antihistamine. What's an antihistamine? How many have allergies? Anybody take antihistamines? <laughs> antihistamine is a compound word, anti against histamine to stand. Do you know what antihistamines do with your allergies? You put them in your body and they stand against them. They fight your allergies. Here's what Jesus says. We fight. <laughs> we fight against the prevailing evil in our culture. And we do it like an antihistamine. We, get on the, we do it from the inside. We don't violently attack. We don't go along with culture. We don't go along with culture and be different on the outside only. No, we're different. We're different from the inside out, he says. And here's how it looks like. Now, ready? Four examples, and we're going to go over them in detail, so I won't do too much here. Here's what it is. He says, what happens when you are humiliated and someone slaps your face? What happens when someone wants to take you to court? What would happen if a Roman soldier compels you to carry his pack for him? What happens if someone comes up to you and asks you to give them something or lend them something? How would you handle all of those? And the answers would be, here it is. I'm going to give you the, just a concept. You must do what no one else in culture is doing. You have to lay down your rights. That is the key to all four scenarios. In every one of these scenarios, there is Levitical law about them. And Jesus says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. In Jewish culture, it was incredibly, they call it the heretic slap. Notice Jesus says in the context, if anyone slaps you on what cheek? Look at the text. Your right cheek. Okay, all right. Which cheek is this, Donnie? I know it's early in the morning. What is this one? I'm right-handed, which most people would be, right? So if I hold off and slap you across the face, what cheek would it be? Your left one. Why does Jesus say if someone slaps you on your right cheek, what kind of slap would it be? No, not left-handed. Well, it could be that, but that wasn't for most people. What would it have to be? Yeah, I have to come across like this backhanded to get your right hand. Now, believe it or not, in, in archaeology, there are, we found writings that slightly time after Jesus that there was a court fine. If you slap someone backhanded, it cost you 400 silver coins because it was considered incredibly humiliating. 
If you slapped him open-handed, which hurt more, but you slapped him this way, it was only 200. Because people thought being humiliated was worse than having pain, and so they said backhanded slaps on the, on the right cheek were far worse. And in that day, mainly the only way that you got slapped like that is if you did some sort of heresy. Okay? Jesus is asked by the high priest, tell us plainly, are you the son of God? And Jesus says, it is as you say. And then the Pharisee says, the, 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 the uh, high priest asks him another question, and Jesus answers, and they don't like his answers, and so here's what it does. He tells the guy next to him to slap Jesus on the face. He would have got the slap of humiliation because the high priest didn't like it. I'm going to tell you more in the sermon this morning. Paul later is standing before the high priest. He just got taken in the temple because he brought Gentiles in there. And they thought he had made some vows that were wrong. So they basically have a mob and they're beating him to death. The soldiers from the barrack in the Antonio Fortress, which is the corner of the temple, this big building which they had where they slept in there. These soldiers come rushing out. They save Paul's life from being beat to death. He, they drag him over there, and he has to stand before the high priest, whose name was Ananias. Horrible man, historically. I'll tell you more later about him. But the Bible says that, <laughs> that he's asked a question by the high priest, and the high priest doesn't like it. And so he tells this guy next to him the word tupto. And the word tupto means to hit someone in the mouth with your fist. So they come off and they just haul off and wax Paul in the mouth, right? It's more than a slap, I think. And Paul says to him, <laughs> he didn't do the Jesus thing very well in this case. Um, he says, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Well, no, no, that wasn't what he should have said. I'm just going to give you up front. Um, God's going to, in other words, you just hit me, but that's nothing compared to the hit God's going to give you. And it was true. The guy obviously seemed to die and go to hell. But nevertheless, um, he called him a whitewashed wall. Whitewashed wall was in the cemeteries. They had walls around the graves and they were all made of dirt and stuff like that. And they were all dirty, but, but they wanted to make them look nicer. So they would whitewash them. In other words, they were filthy and so were the tombs but they whitewashed him so it looked good on the outside. And he was saying to this guy basically, hey, you only look good on the inside, outside, but you are horrifically hypocritical. We would say today in our modern macular, God's going to judge you to hell, you stinking hypocrite. That's what he, that was basically what he would have said. But he has to apologize. You know why? Exodus twenty two twenty six says, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of the people. And the guy next to him says, hey, do you know you're talking, you can't talk to the high priest that way. And Paul says, Ooh, you're right, I'm sorry. Because even he knew he had done something wrong in doing that. But that's what happened. It was a heretic. So you get slapped, Jesus says, and you get humiliated, right? Here's what he says. What would you do? Someone comes up to you and bam, slaps you like that. You're going like, <laughs> right? you, you, you want to do it right back. Jesus says, here's what you do. Everybody's favorite phrase in life, turn the other cheek. In other words, hey, you only got this one. Now it's time for this one. In other words, how do you diffuse it? By slapping them back? No. By saying you have one more cheek to go. Jesus says, lay your rights down. Take the public humiliation, he says. 
Um, don't fight back. You know why? Because we're a resistance movement, but our resistance movement is different. He goes on to the next one. I'll just tell you briefly about it. We have three minutes. He says, on the next one, he says, if anyone sues you and takes your tunic, your tunic was an inner garment, basically all the way to your, beyond your knees, almost to your ankles, like a, like a half sleeve, like a nightgown for the summertime. Guys wore long stuff back then, sorry. Um, and then outside was the cloak. Cloak was heavy, and it was expensive, and it was your main clothing article. Peter's on the boat after the resurrection. He sees this finally. He goes, oh, it's Jesus on the shore. So the Bible says he, takes all, he puts his clothes back on because when you're a fisherman, it's hot, and you're in the water, and you can't have all this heavy clothes on. So he had on what we would call undergarments, and so he has to put back on the heavy sh- the, the shirt and the jacket and then runs in to see Jesus. Um, in the Jewish court of law, you could, take, you could sue someone if they didn't have any money to pay you. You could take their inside garment because sometimes they were made of wool and sometimes of linen. Sometimes they had both and they were expensive. So when Jesus is being crucified and the soldiers are uh, you know, gambling for his garments because they were worth money, right? So the Bible says you could, Jewish law says you could take the inner garment, you can't take the outside. Believe it or not, the Bible says that if you sued someone and they owed you so much money that you could take both of their garments, you had to give the outside garment back when the sun went down because that was what they slept and covered up with. So you can't take it that far. But Jesus says, listen to this. Hey, if they sue you and you were wrong, here's what you're going to do to make it up to them. Here's how you're going to go after fixing the relationship. Ready? You're going to give them the inside garment And even though they can't take the outside garment, give it to them anyways, he says. You know why? Because then they'll see that you depend on me and that I'm compassionate and I'm a loving God, he says. So he says, go the extra mile. Go more than that. That's what his resistance movement looks like. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go two. If you're a Roman soldier, you were given the authority to say, I'm walking along the road. This Jewish guy's walking beside me. Hey, my pack's really heavy and it's 100 degrees out today. Take my pack and carry it for the next mile. Didn't matter where you were going, what you were doing. You were conscripted for that moment. You had to walk a mile and a mile back then, then a thousand paces, whatever a thousand paces were. Jesus says, listen, here's what you do. Don't go just one mile, go two. No matter how hot it is, no matter how much you hate that Roman guy, right? Here's what he says. Go the extra mile. Go extra. See, see what Jesus is pushing for? Who wants to do that? He says, the people ask of you, give to them. People borrow, want to borrow from you. It's not a non, it's not carte blanche. It's not say, hey, Pastor Walker, I got, you know, I like to buy this brand new, super nice car today. Give me the $10,000. Could you lend it to me? Okay, no, right? I don't give money to street people because they use it for drugs and alcohol. But I do do things for them and help them, but I don't give them money. Well, it's not just a carte blanche. Jesus is saying, hey, if someone asks you, which legitimatizes, if they ask you and they really have a need, you help them. Here's what my kingdom is. I help them, even if they're not Jewish, right? Good Samaritan. Even if they're not, they have need. Listen, here's what I want my people to be known by. They love people even if it hurts them, even if it costs them. Go the extra mile. Carry the pack of the Roman soldier. Give to someone who asks you. Give them your tunic, right? Do all those things. Jesus says that's the kind of resistance. See, when they see you live like that and all of us live like that, they're saying, ah, 
Where does this come from? How in the world could people act like that? And the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the wonderful message that Jesus gives. It is so countercultural. It's so different than what even in our day we would experience. But that's why we're a different kind of people. We're a kingdom kind of people. And all of our relationships with people inside and outside the church, let us be mindful of this, that as our Lord did, help us to lay down our rights. Help us to be willing to sacrifice and pay the cost that we might not only tell the gospel, but show the gospel in our lives. And we'll thank you for that rich blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.